Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Do you bleed green? Are you an ultimate Eagles football fan? Well, you're in the right place. Well, you're in the right place. This is Bird 365, hosted by the new Mac and Mac, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. Here we go, here we go! Who collectively have covered and talked about more than 50 plus years of Eagles football. Kick off your day with Birds 365. You'll get debate. We love to argue. You'll get the real story from inside the locker room. And you'll hear from some of the great football minds from around the region. You're about to become an Eagles insider. Get in the game. Join Jody Mack and Johnny Mack and join the football community that flocks to Birds 365. Birds 365 starts right now. Welcome to the NFL. Let's go! Let's go! Go! And a good Wednesday morning, football fans. We appreciate you streaming in with us, the Mac and Mac guys. Uh, there is no AI intelligence here. Some may say there's no intelligence here whatsoever. <laughs> Just a couple of guys sitting around shooting the breeze about ball. And that's what we plan on doing for the next couple hours. And we'll get a couple of guys to join in the fray. One a little bit of a different perspective than what we give you most days here on Birds 365. Johnny Mack did not expect this. Come on today and talk about an eagle roster move. A major needle mover. I was expecting it. I was expecting more, to be honest. Uh, you know, couple couple spots, tryout camp last week, uh, rookie camp. You had a bunch of tryout players in. I knew they were going to sign one. I thought they'd sign a couple. Um, yeah, but Charleston Rambo. Um, yeah. Another guy used to play in college with Jalen Hurts. The yeah, Eagles which... seem to collect those guys. Which seems like a while ago, 2019 is. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta, week. and you know, guys move around so much in college now. You gotta be careful. It's like I was trying to count up how many players played with Jalen in college, which is difficult because he played. Well, he played in two spots, like everybody does now. Not everybody, but a lot of players. Enough, yeah. Um, and you know, like I was thinking about Landon Dickerson. I was like, did Landon play with? Because uh, Landon played at Florida State. For those who don't know, before he went to Alabama, and I'm like, did Landon play with Jalen at Alabama? So, you know, there's a fine line. He did not, by the way. There's a there's, a, there's always a fine line um, because guys move around so much, even at the college level. 
you have to do research as to find out who is on which roster, yeah. what year, and transferred or didn't transfer and like. Uh, so we do know that Mr. Rambo did play one season with Jalen Hurts, although C.D. Lamb was the number one wide receiver on that team. Lambo was actually targeted more than Lamb was. Uh, so they have a <laughs> chemistry together, a couple of years removed from it. You know, we got to get on your uh, buddy, the tight end who – uh, you know, from down the Jersey Shore. We're going to have Gil on today, so we might bring it up with him. Uh, wasn't he in the Panther camp this past year? Um, he was. Uh, he, he originally signed as an undrafted free agent out of Miami because he transferred to Miami with the Panthers. Yeah, so Colin, Colin Thompson would have been there with them. Yeah. In the so, – I don't know how much you want to delve into the history. Come on, you don't think you don't think Rambo is going to be a major contributor for the Philadelphia Eagles this year? I do not, unfortunately. Uh, But you never know. Uh, At least, at least put a call or a text to him and say, "Yo, uh, Colin." Well, we got we got we got a lot of time, so there's no harm in doing it. But yeah, I mean, we better get to it early. This (laughs) so I will put the request in. All right. Uh, yeah, the Eagles did sign one of the guys that they brought in for a workout. As John said, uh, these are fringe roster guys. These are guys on the 90-man roster fringe, not necessarily the 53-man roster fringe who are actually going to get involved on uh, a game day type proposition. But at th- this stage of the offseason, that's what you got. That's what you're talking about. You have your givens and then you have your couple of guys who are fighting for not too many spots and if a guy's got a leg up because he's got a relationship with uh, Jalen Hurts so be it I think the kind of interesting uh, more interesting angle to it and we will get into it with our first guest Neil Stratton's going to join us from inside the league.com and his website deals with scouting and with the relationships that agents have with the teams and how players get uh, signed and, and looked at and potentially see a career dawn. He's an ex XFL guy, uh, Rambo, who played this yeah. past season in the XFL. Uh, the XFL just rekindled this year. The USFL brought back these spring leagues and we've seen plenty of them over the last several years. Um, are they actually going to become a breeding ground for the National Football League? Will we see guys who do sp- spend a spring in the XFL and then actually make and contribute on the NFL level? We are seeing a couple of guys signed out of the spring leagues, and Rambo is just one of them. Yeah, a little bit of a flurry now that the XFL is uh, has finished. Uh, with the mighty Arlington Renegades, Dallas finally gets a championship. Uh, Arlington uh, – renegades win the xfl championship um yeah a a bunch of guys got signed and it's going to be difficult for them but i i do think it's you know i always talk about reps live reps being you know there's only so much you can do in practice yep i always go back to the world league and the quarterbacks and it really helped those guys brad johnson jake delome kurt warner big some you know big time starting quarterbacks and I think playing in that league just it just it just means more live reps. And I think now that Vince McMahon is out of the way of the XFL, they're taking it more seriously, the football part of it. I think there's more of an opportunity for these guys to get sort of noticed. And there has been 
at least a, a, well over a dozen XFL players getting in NFL camps. And that's obviously the first step. Look, and, and Nick Sirianni brought up Adam Thielen. No, Adam Thielen was not only I, – I don't think people understand where Adam Thielen came from. He He was not invited to the combine. He was at one of those regional combines. And he ran like a four four two at his size, which was everybody was like, "Oh, why'd we miss this guy?" And then he had to go be a tryout player, like Charleston Rambo. He wasn't even signed as an undrafted free agent; he was a tryout player. And then they signed him, and you know they got him in camp, and they said, "Wow, this guy can run routes, and he's athletic." And they started him out on special teams, and he took to that role. And all of a sudden there's an injury and they put him in there and he just didn't stop. You know, he just, and, and, and that's what Nick Sirianni said. Don't miss Adam Thielen. Don't miss Adam Thielen. When I asked him the question, how, how can a tryout player sort of catch your eye? And Nick's very involved as you, as you know, with the receivers. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and please don't think I'm saying Charleston Rambo is Adam Thielen, but I'm saying you never know. You never know because they do miss players. They do miss players occasionally. Right. And Sirianni was making an overall point, not a comp this wide receiver to no. this wide receiver type point. That 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 wasn't what he was doing. That wasn't what he meant. But the way you laid it out, I certainly understand it. Sometimes guys come out of nowhere that guys that have been missed by not one team and not two teams, but all teams, 32 teams didn't draft them. No team signed him as a free agent. He had to make it via the tryout camp to be able to get into the national football and correct me if I'm wrong, but he's a Minnesota guy. Right. And yeah, probably gave the Vikings an inside track and that they didn't have to pay to bring him in. Didn't have to pay as much to bring him in. Just get in your car and drive over to the facilities, Adam, and we'll give you a look-see. And next thing you know, the guy is going out and putting up the kind of numbers that he did. So yeah, you find your players in all different ways. And this is that time of the season where you're getting tryout guys. Uh, the Eagles brought a bunch in last week. You said you weren't surprised. I just meant by the day uh, that it, I didn't know it was going to be today or tomorrow or the next day or when it was going to happen. They did just announce one yesterday. Do you, does that mean that you think the Eagles are done, that the rest of these tryout player guys had their moment in the sun and that they're not going to be Philadelphia Eagles? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, there are, you know, there's the XFL market. I keep meaning to count up the players. I don't know where the Eagles are. I think they're, I think they still have a couple of spots left. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're 86. So they got four spots. So, I mean, they're going to be at 90. Um, so they're going to add, and it might be another tryout player. They might be, you know, trying to, as I said, you know, this new market, the XFL market, you know, we keep talking about linebacker. I think they're going to bring in a veteran linebacker at some point. Could be could be soon, could be after June 1st, you know, when June 1st is a big day in the NFL as far as guys getting cut. Um, you know, but they have a little bit of wiggle room and they're not going to camp with less than 90 players. So, I mean, they got to add four. <laughs> And who those four may be, ESPN speculated the other day that Miles Jack 
who is probably the most experienced, accomplished, certainly the highest drafted free agent linebacker who's still out there is someone who could fit with the Eagles. Uh, again, probably come down to what kind of price it is. You never know with these free agents who are still sitting out there. Have they overvalued themselves on the market? Has it been complete and utter lack of interest? Uh, a guy like Miles Jack is a name that's certainly recognizable, but he hasn't signed anywhere. You'd see him as a fit for the Eagles. You know, I'd have to look in. I, 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 you know, obviously a big name. I, I don't know where he is in his career. Obviously, it never lived up to the hype. I know coming out early in this process, I mean, he was, people were talking about him like a potential top 10 pick, and all of a sudden he had some injury issues. So that part, and they were sort of degenerative that kind of pushed them down the board. Um, but the Eagles need help with linebacker. I mean, they're bringing in somebody. We've, we've talked about it. I just find it very hard to believe that they're going to start the season with Nicholas Morrow. I think they're fine with, with N'Kobe Dean, but even that is uncertainty. I don't, I don't think you can just ignore it to the point of, of what they seem to be ignoring it at this stage. And, and look, they devalue the position. A lot of people devalue the position. But, I mean, all you have to do is go back to last year. T.J. Edwards and, 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 and Kaiser White were solid players. Whatever you want to uh, knock T.J. for not being drafted, he was a good player. And... I, I, I just that is a tremendous drop off to the point where when Peter wrote his column and we we referenced it a lot and said can't find a weakness. I said, boy, you're not looking hard enough yeah, because yeah. linebacker is pretty stinking obvious. It certainly jumps off the page to me. Um, and again, you just got a peek at the rookie camp tryout camp. Uh, they did release the numbers on the undrafted free agents the Eagles signed, and the guy who got the second biggest guarantee was the linebacker Ben Van Sumeren from Michigan State. Is he going to be in their mix as far as depth chart goes, and will he be given a chance to actually not only make the team but maybe actually get a chance to play from the line of scrimmage? I find <clears> it tough to believe since they used a third-round draft pick on the Kobe Dean this past year and got him on the line on the field for about. 35 snaps over the course of the entire season, but there is more of an opportunity now because there aren't two starting linebackers in camp guys with resumes like there were last year with Edwards and white. Uh, so there's more of an opportunity here is an undrafted free agent like Van Summer in, in the mix for you. Uh, not to play special teams. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about, you know, Ben is a tremendous, tremendous athlete. I mean, he can, at his size, he's, he's like six, three, two thirty-five. So that that's good for the Eagles because they have so many undersized linebackers, but the knock on him is he's just not ex instinctive, but he's, you know, he's one of the best athletes at the position, which tells you, and he went undrafted, so that kind of tells you how unrefined he is as the, you know playing off-ball linebacker. But you know, maybe two, three years down the road, if he makes the team, and man, if he can run and he can play special teams, the Eagles need help there. And all of a sudden, you know, I just mentioned Thielen on the offensive side of the ball. He started as a special teams player; he was a great special teams player, and then all of a sudden. 
Um, he develops, 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 turns into a star. That would be more the road as far as throwing him in there. TJ was undrafted, but TJ was undrafted for the opposite reason. Very instinctive player, tremendous player at Wisconsin. Um, second in the Budkiss Award, but he ran a 487. You know, and people are like, well, uh, he ran a 487. Uh, and ultimately, he had a bad day, overcame it. Probably the next day, he was never a speed guy, as we know. Probably the next day, would have ran a 47 or something much more palatable, but he had a bad day and he and ran a 487. And they're like, oh, second in the Buckus Award, all America. Uh, who cares? Can't run. Uh, we're not going to draft you. Ben's kind of the opposite of that. Not very instinctive, but it's just lights out as an athlete. Boy, that's the kind of thing we're going to be talking about with our first guest because he is very in-depth on scouting and how players get into the league and what they have to do when they get there. He also knows the agency business a little bit. Uh, Neil Stratton from InsideLeague.com is going to join Mac and Mac on Birds 365 next. Stick around. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit. And the hits. Go for the stakes. And the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. The greatest fans on earth. It's a bold statement, but would you expect anything less from Philadelphia? 58 years of heartache creates a toughness, a grit, a resolve not found in most. Sure, our prayers were answered, but now that we've had a taste, we're looking for more. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go first! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. All right, did you know I was the Mommy Slam Dunk champion? Really? <laughs> yes, really don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to right, go to left. Fake them out. Mama, go. Oh, mama. She did it. Again. You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh-huh.
E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. You got your Mac and Mac guy, Jody McDonald and John McMullen here with Young Birds 365. We are joined by Neil Stratton from InsideTheLeague.com. Some of you may recognize his face. He was on with Rick Saratella here on the channel last year, and he's good enough to jump on board with us here today. Neil, uh, for those guys who don't know about your website, if anybody were to go to InsideTheLeague.com, what would they find there? We service the NFL agent and scouting communities uh, this time of year, especially we're tracking the hiring and firing that takes place within the game, uh, within the scouting departments. Typically, uh, once a draft is over, that's when that kind of starts to commence. And you have about a 60 to 90 day cycle when teams are kind of cutting guys, bringing new people in, elevating people, sometimes reassigning uh, scouts to different areas. And so that's something we track pretty aggressively on our Twitter account at Inside the League. But we also have a blog with SucceedInFootball.com in which we talk about different areas of interest uh, to people who, who are interested in the game behind the game, the business of the game, again, again, especially as it relates to player representation and player evaluation. And we also have a pretty popular uh, newsletter that comes out on Friday. It's called the Friday Wrap. You can uh, sign up for that at our, on our Twitter account. Yeah, you know, Neil, I always joke, uh, uh, you know, the NFL is sort of America's passion. And there's one part of it that very few understand. And it's the part that you cover. I would say they, they, like 80% of the oceans are undiscovered, uncharted, because it's so vast. That's how I feel about scouting in the NFL. It's like, I, I for me... I never learn more about the game than when I talk to scouts. Mm -hmm. Those guys teach me the most, the most about the game and nobody knows about them. Why, (laughs) why do you think that is? Why do you think it's sort of on the back burner all the time? You know, it's, uh, I think that scouts are, uh, you know, they have, they have a very intriguing job, but as you alluded to, it's kind of an unknown job. I think it's partly because scouts still, operate they're not really on the front lines i mean you, the coaches you see on the walk in the sidelines and sometimes they're quoted and all those kinds of things but scouts are still part of their job is to be anonymous and to be secretive and so uh i think that's kind of baked into it you know part of our our newsletter on fridays is we we go out and we interview a former a retired scout and we have a lot of scouts who've been retired for years and still don't want to talk to us because <laughs> they're used to being introverts they don't like yeah. that they're I think they get nervous talking to anyone that brings any kind of exposure to them. So I think it's just kind of baked into the process that the secrets are part of the game and part of what they want. And um, I guess that's kind of, I guess, to some degree by design. I will say this, John, when I started inside the league in 2002, I said, listen, if I find out nothing else except for why people draft the the people they draft, I'll consider this a success. By that definition, ITL is still a terrible failure because I have to <laughs> oh. my teams do the things they do. But it's still fun to, to try to figure it out. Rick, I don't know if you know, but uh, Neil, excuse me. Um, my dad was the general manager of the New York Mets, the St. Louis Cardinals, and oh, the wow. Detroit Tigers. So one of the things he used to tell me is an underrated part of his job was 
he has to scout his own scouts mm -hmm. because some scouts are more easily grading and a little bit more likely to use some hyperbole and overstate and the like. And that's just the way that they scout. That's the way they file reports. That's the way they uh, describe players when they get to talk to the general manager and other mm -hmm. guys are harsh. And they don't really like anybody. And if he likes them, at least, oh, my God, this kid must be a player because he hates everybody. He said a huge part of the job is scouting the scouts because he had X amount of scouts. And they were all different in the way they looked at the game, described the game, scouted the same, filed reports on the game. That's a big part of it. Is there a general manager that you've come across in the NFL that's really good, you think, at scouting his own scouts? Well, you know, obviously, uh, we're here to talk about the Eagles a little bit, and I think Harry Roseman qualifies. I think in re when I was looking, when I was doing a little bit more research on their scouting department, I didn't realize how diverse the scouting department is for the Eagles. And when I say that, I don't mean just skin color. I mean they've got more uh, representatives in their front office from different teams than almost any other scouting department that you'll find. There are a lot of them out there that really try to build from within and try to raise the guys up and promote them and what have you. I think to how his credits, he's really gone out and tried to pick some of the best apples off of other trees and bring them in and develop them and put his own spin on things. I think we've also seen him, you know, John Dorsey came in for, I think it was a year, maybe two years yeah. ago or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. Um, Dorsey is a little bit prickly and, and has had a lot of stops mm -hmm. in his career, but you can't deny the fact that he really knows talent. And I, and, and what I've, been told when I've talked to other scouts is, you know, how he was able to kind of learn, uh, especially how Dorsey values athleticism. And he's made that a bigger part of his drafting and a philosophy and how he kind of implements that. And I think, again, that's to his credit. Um, but with respect to grading the scouts themselves within teams, that's another thing that I've never really found anyone to do except for one team. That was the Arizona Cardinals. And they had a metric for, and I don't even know how they did it, but I know that they honored one scout a couple of years ago for the number of players he could bring in. But it's really hard to to gauge because you've got scouts who come from different areas, who've got different strengths, who cover different regions of the country that, and you know, some may be a lot thicker in talent. You know, for example, the Southeast versus the Northeast, where you've got you know fewer players. So how do you gauge that? I mean, is it based on how many starters you bring in, how many UDFAs a team signs. I guess all those things kind of go in, you know, fold into it. But it's really hard to figure out and objectively look at who's good and who's not. And so most teams fall back on who am I comfortable with, who knows my system, who knows this team, and rely and hope that that is good enough to, uh, you know, to make, make it all count on draft day. Um, you know, speaking of Howie, and and I think he's come such a long way, right? I mean, the you know he was a a salary cap guy at first, and you know he learned from so many different people, starting with Andy Reid, um, and he'll give Andy a ton of credit. But you mentioned he always brings in guys like John Dorsey, uh, you know, Dave Caldwell's in there now, uh, former GM in this league, Matt Russell, Matt Russell yeah. big time personnel guy. Um, and he's learned so much over the years. I see the same thing with Alec Halaby's assistant GM sort of started out as an analytics guy. Now he's breaking down film with the best of them. But, mm -hmm. you know, one thing I noticed, Neil, is it, it, past couple years, and I'll, I'll use your Twitter account as 
an example of this. I think your last two moves were uh, Maya and Callender uh, hired as a scouting assistant with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Um, she used to uh, uh, used to work for the Eagles. Um, uh, Tom Hayden uh, got uh, a promotion in Houston. He was with the Eagles back mm-hmm. in the Andy Reid era. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been so many hires from Brandon Brown and Ian Cunningham and how he's had to roll this thing over. Do you find when teams are looking for scouts, you know, there are certain teams they go to and certain teams they try to pick from? You know, uh, I would say for probably 10 years, about from 2010 to right around 2020, the Vogue team was the Patriots. And everyone wanted to, you know, to bring in an ex-Patriot. You know, so many you know, saw so many teams that were hiring former Patriot staffers as GMs. You're still seeing that. I mean, Dave Ziegler in Las Vegas, uh, Nick Casario in Houston, uh, my hometown. But I think there are waves that go, you know, that, you know obviously as teams have more success. And, and yes, I do think the Eagles are a team that is seen as one that, you know, where you can go and find guys. I mean, I, I think a lot of people in the league thought Joe Douglas was going to be an instant success in New York. And that hasn't happened per se, but I do think you see them turning the corner and that's just one example. And, um, and I have to brag on Ian Cunningham Ian, uh, this is how old I am. I ran the hula bowl in 2008. Ian was one of my guards um, <laughs> on the team. Um, Jordan Dizon, uh, the national scout for the Eagles was one of my linebackers. So again, you know, that's, that's where all this gray came from. But uh, you know, again, Ian's going to be a GM in this league at some point. Turned down the Arizona job, uh, but had that opportunity. He'll have other opportunities. Brandon Brown, who's with the Giants, I think, is another guy who'll be a future GM. Andy Weedle with the, with the Steelers, who's Andy really Watt, putting his yeah. stamp on things over there, uh, yeah. is a guy. And so, yeah, I, I think not only are teams starting to look to the Eagles for candidates, there are a lot of guys that are really on uh, – they're in the on-deck circle for GM jobs right now, and we're going to see that very soon. Neil, you authored Moving the Chains and Scout Speak. Yes, I want to talk about the latter half of that, Scout Speak, because in an industry like that, yeah, it, it gets its language of its own. And there are certain phrases that are used, and a lot of people use them, and just someone from the outside, look, well, what the hell do they mean by that? But scouts know exactly what they're referring to if scouts are talking to scouts. What are the phrases that you think just like really hit home that man that that describe i understand exactly what he's trying to say with that phrase and is there one that you go yeah that just doesn't work why the hell do they say it? that I, that's not what i think when i hear that is there a phrase on each side that you either love or you still can't stomach because you think it's off base well you know the one that i think is most descriptive and and i I'm going to have to clean it up a little bit, but. Uh, <laughs> nah, this is YouTube. That, Don't sweat it, buddy. Go with it. <laughs> um, you know, when a guy uh, is not as impressive with his pads off as he is with them on, you know, they describe him as a guy who looks like, uh, you know, <laughs> 10 pounds of excrement in a five pound bag. <laughs> I think that's a very nice. colorful way of describing someone. You know, we don't get, we don't have the uh, old school. Uh, weigh-ins at all-star games where we used to where guys prayed around in their in their trunks literally yeah. Um, yeah. but in the old days that's kind of something you'd hear a lot of scouts say and just kind of rattle off and, and you know and and that would be a pretty common phrase you know I think one that uh, we don't hear as often because it's not uh, maybe up to modern standards but plays like looks like Tarzan plays like Jane or one that I use a lot 
um, is uh, looks great coming off the bus. You know, that's uh, yeah. Nick Sirianni uses that a lot. That doesn't always add up to the uh, athleticism yeah. that uh, that a player has. Yeah, Nick Sirianni uses that one a lot, mm-hmm. uh, but he uses it ten. He he uses it with good players. He's like mm-hmm. Jordan Mailata, first guy off the bus. That's who mm-hmm. you want. Uh, he uses that quite a bit. Um, when it comes to I, the calendar, that's one thing I think fans don't understand as well because you know most of the league works on the same calendar right season ends super bowl you know you have the coaching hiring season uh gm hiring season scouts are different scouts go from draft to draft and then you see the movement um and 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 there's no we talked about the secrecy like nobody knows who's under contract who isn't under contract who gets rolled over um is there any tricks to kind of figuring that out? Who's available? Who's not available? Boy, I'd love to know, John, because that would be so <laughs> indicative of who's kind of on the hot seat and who isn't. Typically, scouts are on two-year deals and, until you get kind of the, to the director level and what have you. So who's on that? Who's on the second year? Who's on the first year? Who just got renewed? That's very difficult. Last, you know, two years ago when, when the uh, pandemic hit in 2020, the NFL kind of just froze everything. And so if you're in the second year of your deal, you kind of got rolled over. If you didn't have time left, you got a free year. If you were, you know, others, maybe they got two years. And that kind of threw everything off. And so the last two years, we've seen a lot of movement, a lot of changes, because a lot of those people that got automatically renewed or given an extra year, well, when the kind of pandemic was in the back, you know, in in the rear view, then teams started making a lot of changes they would have made a year ago or two years ago, what have you. Now that that's kind of washed out and a lot of those people that were kind of on deck for getting separated are gone, we're seeing fewer changes this year. And I think that's been one thing that's been substantiated But um, so far because it's been really slow in the first two weeks. But no, to answer your question, I, I don't know of a way. You know, It's not published like player salaries and player contracts and all those kind of things. Adding to the intrigue, adding to the mystery, adding to the whole – you know, secrecy kind of thing of scouting, which I guess makes it so intriguing. So, no, I don't know how to, to, to monitor that. I mean, it would be a great tool for me, but uh, I, I've never seen it, it published anywhere, and I don't know that it is published anywhere. Neil, as John just pointed out, and you confirmed, timing is everything, and the calendar is all important, and the NFL has their draft when they have their free agency, and then they have the draft. And then you have the players that are playing in the spring leagues, the XFL and the USFL, both of them on their own return type timeline. And they're a business entity into themselves and trying to draw fans. You get television contracts and the like. But for the players, I got to believe about 90% of them want the growth to the National Football League. They're not in the XFL to stay in the XFL for the rest of their lives. And even with college players, when you go to college, 99% of them are open to go to the NFL. There's one percent that says, hey, I'm getting a free ride. I'm going to get my education. I'm going to go on to become the leader in this other industry. So mm-hmm. timing is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Do the XFL and the USFL have themselves in the right position on the calendar right now? We're seeing some guys sign this week XFL first because their season's over and done with. USFL still going. How are scouts treating this spring league? I think that, I mean... <laughs> Scouts love to watch football. Uh, you know, the, obviously everyone knows about the combine. Everyone knows about pro days and what have you. Uh, but, you know, there's still a lot of scouts that call that the underwear Olympics. They want to see guys play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the thing that's really interesting about the XFL is it kind of mirrors the, the pre-draft cycle. And I think we could see a time when some players opt to play in the XFL rather than go through and work out and do the combine and all those kinds of things, especially if the XFL can start to ramp up its salaries and what have you. And if that happens, I think that could be really interesting, a really interesting development. There was a player drafted uh, by the Colts, uh, a tackle out of Northern Michigan, who really seriously considered going to the XFL. Very, um, And the XFL was seriously considering him. He's a project, a long guy. Um, Jake Witt is his name. And uh, kind of has a little, some Jordan Maliata qualities. As a matter of fact, the Eagles, I know Jeff Stoutland talked to him pretty seriously late in the draft yeah, and yeah. draft process and really looked at him. At any rate, I think the XFL set up right now in a great way because they can develop players during that phase. And then those guys are done you know, just in time for the draft and rookie mini camps and all those kind of things. The USFL, I think, obviously may have to shift its league play to do that. And I'm not sure they're going to be willing to because then they've got to share the TV and the spotlight and all those kinds of things, and it's kind of a limited window. I hope that both leads, leads, <laughs> leagues succeed, and I think everyone in the NFL does as well. But at the end of the day, it's how many butts you can get in the seats and how many viewers you can have on TV. And there's only so much you – know, there's so much competition for, uh, you know, for, for viewership now. I, I don't know if they'll both make it or not. I hope they do. I'd love to see it. But I think right now, yes, it's a tremendous benefit to the NFL because not only does the NFL have the best minor league system, bar none, of all the four major sports in college football, now they've got yet one more layer of yeah. spring football that gives them another chance, another bite of the apple to really review these players, see how they're developing, see how they you know, perform under fire, and, and that's a tremendous tool. It's funny you bring up uh, Jake Witt. I, I had him going to the Eagles in one of my mock drafts, which are mm-hmm. shots in the dark, Neil, as you know. Sure. But I said if there's ever a, a Jeff Stoutland guy, it's Jake Witt, because he's like former college basketball player, big long guy, mm-hmm. you know, really developmental project. And they usually like to give Jeff one of those guys every year, just mm-hmm. a developmental guy. But they got him Tyler Steen, who's a much higher prospect. So I guess mm-hmm. that worked out for him. But, uh, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, Jody brought up the XFL, the USFL. I'm too old, obviously. But I go back to NFL Europe and the World League. Mm-hmm. The quarterbacks in those leagues, I think people forget. Brad Johnson Absolutely. got his first playing time there. Jake DeLome got his first playing time there. Kurt Warner played in the uh, World League. Um, it, it, and that was back when you had two-a-days and you could practice and you could always be at the facility. And mm-hmm. I still think those live reps really, really helped the quarterbacks. I think you can't duplicate them, even in mm-hmm. practice. Now they don't practice. I mean, you know, they, 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 everything's scaled back. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to develop quarterbacks. Are we going to see a little bit of a groundswell of quarterbacks playing in the the XFL, the USFL, getting reps? Or are people, coaches, scouts, just too hyper-focused on – I bring up Stout again because I I talked to him way back when Jordan Mailata, before he became Jordan Mailata, there was the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, and they were talking about becoming a developmental league for the NFL – and we asked Jeff, hey, would you advocate Stoutland, uh, excuse me, Mylotta going over there? And he was like, I don't want anybody touching him. Where where do you think that sort of balancing line is with coaches, scouts about getting a player in their system and not 
wanting somebody else to mess with them. My take on that is that the colleges are doing so much of a better job of developing these quarterbacks for the modern game. And the, and the NFL has adopted so many college philosophies. I think right now the, uh, the, the progression is from college to pro as far as the innovation on the offensive side of the football and those yeah. kinds of things. As a result, I think we're seeing more passers that come into the league a little more prepared than they were. Where we're not seeing development is on the offensive lines and the defensive lines, especially the offensive line. You talk to a scout now, they can't find someone that, that, can, that they can evaluate in a traditional way because there's so many spread offenses and there's so many you know zone blocking schemes and what have you. They want to see a guy that can get down in a three-point stance, fire out, and drive guy. That's if you watch, I watched the USFL pretty extensively last year before the XFL had come around, and you found these quarterbacks taking a snap and then running for their lives. I think what you're going to see is offensive line development in those leagues, and I think and I hope that you start to see more and more players that might be IPP pathway guys that, that have the size and speed and come in and get kind of run to those leagues and develop as offensive linemen. I think that's where if you talk to most scouts and most teams, the biggest need they've got is someone that can stop these pass rushers, someone that can dance on the edge and who can really be a guy that can mirror and, you know, and protect the passers blindside, especially. So I think, I think quarterbacks are still valuable, and that's a great way to develop them. But I think more so, I think they need more development on the offensive line. And I think as you see more basketball players make the transition, as you see more players come in internationally, you're going to see them, especially if these leagues can stay around, you're going to see them run in there and get more and, and see that as kind of the, the lab, you know, the, the crucible for offensive linemen. Because I think that's where the league really needs help right now. All right, I'm going to use a phrase my partner uses often. I'm going to borrow it slash steal it here. And that's mm. trickle up. We've seen over the last X amount of years aspects of college football, ways of playing, thought processes mm. on how to be good on both sides of the ball come from college football and be initiated into the NFL. A long time ago, it was the NFL decided everything, and college football followed in lockstep thereafter to try and get their kids into the NFL. Mm-hmm. But college football has changed, and they are more driving the bus at times than the NFL is, trickling mm-hmm. up. What's the next trickle-up aspect that you're starting to see in college football that you go, yeah, maybe the mm-hmm. NFL will think about that and adopt that going forward? Mm-hmm. Well, I think from a... <clears throat> Style of play standpoint, we're seeing that right now. Uh, you know, the, the Cliff Kingsbury model is not such a crazy idea anymore. But I think from a physical standpoint, you know, the metric of, of, of size and height especially um, is what we, we've seen change so drastically. I mean, when Colin Mur- I remember when Colin Murray was going through the draft process, I would talk to scouts who said, that's really short. I mean, he's an effective player, and we can do a lot of things with him. But at the end of the day, the guy's 5'8". You know, our, the number one pick in the draft this year was well under six feet tall. No yeah. one's trying to act like he's really, yeah, well, he's almost six feet. No, he's not. He's well under six feet. <laughs> and I think we're going to see more and more of that. I mean, I think yeah. that you've seen the metrics on quarterbacks kind of thrown out the window. You know, whereas you wanted a six-five guy, that's not the case anymore. Nobody seems to care. And it's becoming less and less of a big, big issue. So I, I, from style of play, I think we're already seeing that come up. But I think what we're going to start to see is how – Every prospect is seen differently, and what the bottom line, you know, the, the hard uh, triangle numbers are, are for those positions. So, 
I think that's kind of that's the next innovation that we're going to really see in the league. All right, uh, last one from me. Make sure you follow Neil uh, on Twitter at Inside the League. Does a tremendous job. Uh, InsideTheLeague.com. Sign up for the newsletter. It's tremendous. SucceedinFootball.com. If you want to become an agent, uh, he'll even prep you for the agent test. Um, to Jody's point, positionalist football, especially on the back seven um, in on defense. Oh, yeah. You jumped in the green room. Jody and I were talking about linebacker. The Eagles have two, you know, Nicobe Dean. They say he's 220. You don't look 220 to me, Neil. Uh, Nicholas Morrow, about 215. Um, Terrell Edmonds is a safety. He's the same weight. Um, how close are we to this idea of positionalist football? Basketball, in a lot of ways, has gone that way, especially on the back seven on the defensive side from talking to scouts. Yeah. Again, I mean, I had this conversation with a scout probably, I don't know, five or six years ago talking about box safeties. And he said, well, yeah, your box safety is really your, your will linebackers now, you know, they're, they're the guys that are two Oh five maybe. And uh, you know, that have changed. So yeah, it's pretty much after defensive line, all those guys are changing. What I'm waiting for is, you know, because you're seeing the line now, now that we're in the age of the 215-pound middle linebacker, how much longer until we start to see a return to really the fullback and the power back and the you know, the 250-pound running backs? Because at some point you've got to see them start taking advantage of those light guys up front who are quick, but you know it may take two or three guys to bring down, you know, the bigger backs. And I and I think we're starting to see that, but we're not quite there yet. As far as, yeah, the, the, the safeties that are interchangeable and not having a free and a strong, um, yeah, definitely. That's definitely here. Um, I'm kind of waiting for the offense to, to rebound to that, though, and, and to change with that because I think you're getting lighter and lighter and faster and faster yeah. at some point. Someone's got to take advantage of that with power football. It's not as sexy as what we're used to seeing, but it's certainly going to be effective, yeah. especially – Neil, you're – uh... You're a Texas guy. I'd love to see somebody try to tackle Earl Campbell in his prime <laughs> with some of these guys. I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm, I think, you know, somebody, somebody's somebody got to react to this. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't. Maybe they're just not developing those types of running backs now. That's true. I think that's probably part of the problem. Um, at some point, someone's going someone's gonna to have success with it, and it's not just going to be the Titans, and everyone's going to want to copy it. And uh, so I guess we'll have to wait and see who that is. All right. Let's tie a couple of things together that you guys just discussed. Let's say the next B. John Robinson is going to be playing in Houston, down in your neck of the woods, somewhere in Texas. Would anyone be shocked if the best running back in the country high school level was from Texas? No, that would be almost expected, not surprised by. But the next guy who looks like B. John Robinson going into his senior year in uh, high school football in Texas, as he's being recruited, he tells Nick Saban or uh, any other top coach, listen, I'd really like to come to your university. You've seen some of my tape. I'm very good at catching the ball out of the backfield. I want to be a wide receiver. I know I played high school football, but uh, I can read the tea leaves. In the National Football League, wide receivers get paid. Running backs get devalued. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm this good. I'm this kind of athlete. 
even though I'm playing running back on my high school team because we got a chance to win a state championship and I love my teammates and the like. So I've been a running back. I want to stay a running back. When I come and play for you, I'm playing wide receiver. Are we going to see that? Or you're just suggesting that the pendulum may swing and swing even harder to a power smash mouth running game. Oh, I think we're years away from that. I think there's more of a chance that we're going to get lesser running backs because running backs are going to say, no, I want to be a wide receiver. That's the way the NFL looks at these positions these days. And I want to get paid from the day I walk in by being a top 10 draft pick. Mm-hmm. Is something like that more likely to happen than the return of the running back? I think it's possible. I don't. I don't know that it's going to happen as much with the guys that are Bijan size, but I think the the lesser sized running backs that could fit as a slot guy. I think that makes a lot of sense. We're starting to see slot guys more, much more valued, getting paid in free agency and all those kind of things. And I think players are in tune with that. And so I could see that happening. The bigger guys, you know, unless they can really run on the outside, I don't know that they're going to be able to make that switch as, as, as seamlessly. But the smaller guys, you know, the water bug types, the guys that were, you know, seen as the third down backs in the old days, they'd be perfect in the slot position. So I could see that. Um, that would make a lot of sense. Uh, haven't seen it yet, but, boy, nothing's off the table these days. And especially, you know, I think at the end of the day, if you're a touchdown scorer, you're going you're gonna to want to stay in a position like that, especially as the NIL era dawns and more and more players are getting paid and, and, and more valued on the college side, then, yeah, I think wherever a player feels like he's going to be able to have the most success and uh, maybe see the most NIL, uh, you know, compensation is where he's going to want to play. So we could see that. That's, that's a possible innovation. Yeah, yeah, keep your eye out for it. All right. Mm-hmm. Going to tap into your scouting expertise here. Okay. Um, everybody's already got mock drafts out for next year. That's the one. As soon as, soon as Mr. Irrelevant is selected, you're obligated to come out with your mock draft for the year thereafter. And most everybody has two quarterbacks at the top of the draft, Williams and May. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of both guys. I, I'm kind of proud that I jumped on the May bandwagon before a lot of other people did. Week two of this season, he went nuts in his second start after the Sam Howell era. And I said, mm-hmm. man, this kid can spin the football. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they look like the top two draft picks. A lot mm-hmm. of things can happen between now and next May when the draft happens. Comparing these two, and it's a look ahead to the quarterbacks that went in this year's draft. Mm-hmm. Same level. Not quite as good, actually better than the two quarterbacks who went one two in this year's draft. I think that uh boy, I really like Williams. Um what he brings, the skill set he has. I think he's you know the guy that most teams are gonna want uh in the NFL these days. May is more of your a little bit more traditional, uh your traditional <laughs> prospect as far as what you're looking for and all those kind of things. Uh boy. Which one are they better than uh, C.J. Stroud and, and Bryce Young? That's a tough one. Neither one of them has enjoyed the success that Young and Stroud have enjoyed on the field. And I'm still kind of an old school guy. Uh, I really like the fact that these guys, the, the two at the top of the draft this year, really won. And, and May and Williams, you know, I was really surprised to see USC win, lose to, to Houston. And to me, until those guys can produce on the field and lead their teams in a way, that Young and Stroud have, I can't put them ahead of those guys. I also should mention there are a couple other interesting players for 2024. I mean, I think Quinn Ewers in Texas is a really interesting guy. I think he's eligible for the draft. 
And then Keaton Slovis is a guy to kind of watch out for. He was a guy that was really, really? Yeah, You still Keaton like him. You, I remember hey, listen, two years ago, people were talking him up. Who was he transferred to this year? He's going, he's in BYU and everything's set up for him there. He's got a quarterback coach that he really likes. And if things go well, listen, guys, every year there's an out of nowhere quarterback that climbs the board and nobody thought the guy was you know, even on the radar. And suddenly he goes in the top five in the draft. Yeah. I'm you still waiting Wilson. for Spencer, Spencer Rattler to get yeah, back. Spencer Rattler, top. look, there's yeah. another guy who's kind of a reclamation yeah. project who could be, again, the top five season, pick. I, I mean, <laughs> they play that position where you know, the people are going to fall in love with him. And so yeah. there's a lot of interesting quarterbacks in this come, upcoming draft class. I'm really to defend, to yeah, uh, By the way, to defend Caleb Williams real quick, Neil. He can't play defense. Come on, yeah, Rick and Riley. You're right. Some defense. Out. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, he, he he's electric on the field, yeah. and, and, uh, and there's no denying his athletic ability. And he's done it at two schools, and there's a, in in two conferences, and he's an exciting player. I don't mean to be a detractor. Yeah. I just I really I mean I think now, I hear what you're saying. You're, don't respect yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. Yeah, Alabama and that recent history of Alabama quarterbacks. I mean, you know. They're they're trained the right way. They understand how to play. Nick does it the right way, and mm-hmm. they tend to be successful. You mm-hmm. know, look at Jalen Hurts uh, last mm-hmm. year. He's got some Oklahoma mixed in, but uh, mm-hmm. I th- I think that Alabama way is is sort of time tested now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, and I think Mac Jones deserves another chance. I yeah if, yeah. If if my defensive coordinator was made my offensive coordinator, I'm not sure that I would succeed really well either. Um, you know, <laughs> I think that guy's talking good. about the Eagles defensive yeah. assistant coach now. Yeah, yeah you gotta Patricia's be careful. Either. They're gonna yeah. come for you if you're uh, getting on Mac Patricia's case now that he's wearing green. Yeah, All no, is forgiven right. for his offensive coordinator work. I don't get any angry letters or anything, but that was a tough situation that Jones got thrown into. We'll yeah, see what happens this year. Uh, I, too, have a Mac Jones fan. Neil, great stuff. We appreciate you coming on with us today. I saw some of your stuff. Uh, our buddy Rick Sarantella was retweeting your stuff. Said, Damn, this is interesting. I think the Birds 365 audience would like it. We appreciate you sharing with us today, and we're definitely going to get you back on down the road. A lot of fun, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Y'all have a blessed day. My pleasure. Thanks, Neil. Neil Stratton here with us on Birds 365, giving us a little bit of a different look. The scouting look, the agents look, how deals are done, and uh, how the NFL goes about filling out its roster. Yeah, there's a whole new level to it with the USFL and the XFL now. Uh, Scouting, like football in general, is a 365 uh, day a year uh, proposition. All right, we are Birds 365. We come at you almost every single day. Yeah, they give us the weekends off. But we're Monday through Friday. Come back. I got a very specific question for my partner, and it's prepping for a season and prepping for specific opposition. I'll tell you what I mean when we come back here on Birds 365. Heading down the shore. Have a ball once more. 
Here, imaginations run wild and time stands still. Because here, you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five-mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods. Save at Southeastern PA in Delaware with Colony Pools this football season. And let the experts close your pool with a custom Merlin safety cover in green for the birds. And if you join our winter watch team, we'll give you another 20% off and Colony Pools will handle it all. Keep your tiles on your pool, not in your pool. Fly with Colony right now, birds fans. Visit flywithcolony.com. Hi everybody, my name is Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech we offer three major services. The first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you are having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. Jody McConnell, you got the Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. Thank Neil Stratton for jumping in with us and giving us a little bit of a different look at the game uh, from a scouting perspective. We'll punch Neil up every once in a while. Uh, good guy, good guest. Another good guest coming down in no oh, about 25 minutes or so. Uh, our buddy Mike Gill from down the shore, host of the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN Radio, is going to do his usual um wednesday spot with us all right johnny mac here's what i was teasing before we went to break last year philadelphia eagles went 16 and 4 that's pretty damn good anyways like, that's, that's pretty damn good that's a pretty very nice record uh losing just four games out of 20 16 and damn, 2 with the starting quarterback as well damn good winning percentage um but we have now turned the page and we are looking at what they need to do to have that same level and or improve on it season in 2023. Mm. And oh, by the way, they've got a couple of those teams that they lost to last year on this year's schedule, the Dallas Cowboys. Now the Dallas Cowboys against the Eagles last year is very difficult to get a grasp on because the Eagles beat the Cowboys early in the season, beat them pretty handily. They beat Cooper Rush. Dak Prescott was not available for that game. So Cowboy fans, cow, the Cowboys in general, are just going to dismiss that one and say, 
Yeah, we like Cooper, and he's a nice guy, and he actually won a couple of games for us before we ran into the Eagles, but we got to a team on our level. Yeah, it didn't really work out for us. The Cowboys beat the Eagles and hung a 40 spot on them later in the season. Jalen Hurts wasn't there. He did not play that game, so they beat Gardner Minshew. So the two starting quarterbacks did not match up last year. Hopefully, just from a football interest standpoint, if you're an Eagle fan that says, hey, I'll take two wins against the Cowboys, screw Dak. I hope he's out for the entire season. I, that you want, that's fine. I want to see the best beat the best, and the best play against the best. So hopefully both Hurts and Prescott are available for both games this year. The Cowboys did get 40 points that day, and you can only put so much of that on Gardner Minshew uh, that it was all Gardner's fault that the Eagles allowed the Cowboys to score 40 points. That's not realistic. Um, so they got to find a way to beat the Cowboys. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Boys, hopefully twice if you're looking at it with eagle-colored glasses on. Uh, in the NFC Championship matchup, the foolish stance of several 49er players and a lot of 49er fans, some of which, some of who stream in here on our show on Birds 365, the 49ers would have won the game if Brock Purdy hadn't come uh, gotten hurt. Please. Uh, but I think almost as bad, not as bad, almost as bad, are the dismissive Eagle fans who say, stop it, I irrelevant who their quarterback was. The Eagles were going to run the 49ers out of uh, Lincoln Financial Field that day. You don't know that. And I, you know I feel Brock Purdy has not been given enough credit for what he had done up until that point. That's a huge game this year. 49ers, Eagles. Yes, the Eagles beat them badly last year. But again, when the Coastal... And not only was the starting quarterback out, Josh Johnson had to come in, who had no right. You think that Gardner Minshew caught the Eagles a couple of games. Gardner Minshew is Joe Montana as compared to Josh Johnson. So the drop-off from the injured player to the guy who had to step in and do the job, even more outrageous with the 49ers. So you got the Cowboys, you got the 49ers. And you got the Chiefs, of course. And they were tied with the Chiefs with 10 seconds to go in the Super Bowl. And, of course, Butker kicked the game-winning field goal and the Eagles lost. These are the three teams that you got to uh, circle on your calendar. These are the three teams that the Eagles have to have good games against during this upcoming year, two of which they could face in the NFC playoffs, one they could face again in the final game of the year. John, how much are the Eagles thinking about Roster construction, game planning, 
uh, how you go about prepping for a season, those three teams, as compared to everything else, we just saw the Philadelphia 76ers get bounced from the playoffs. They won 50-some-odd games. Again, a great regular season. Not as great as the Eagles, but a damn good one. Over 50 wins. <clears throat> they couldn't get by the Celtics. It got their coach fired. There's going to be changes. The Eagles are in a better position than the Sixers are, but part of what the Sixers have to figure out this offseason is how to beat teams that they haven't been able to beat in the postseason here. How much time do the Eagles put into the teams that are going to be keys to their upcoming season to reach their ultimate goal, which has been the last game? This um, I, you know, one thing I think Nick Sirianni is really good at is, is keeping everything, um, you know, focused on the next day, the next opponent. Uh, he doesn't look ahead. He makes it very clear. Never look ahead. But with that said, and I think he does as good a job as you can possibly do in that type of thing. Um, but there's a natural human nature aspect of it to, you know, understand. And, and with the Eagles, it starts with the Cowboys. I mean, well, we kind of talked about this yesterday when we were talking about what, what's the biggest game on the schedule. To me, an AFC game can never be the biggest game on the schedule for an NFC team and vice versa. Can't be. Uh, from a, you know, from a, again, a feeling standpoint, yeah, it'd be great to be, everybody wants to beat the Super Bowl champions. You want to knock the the champion off the, the pedestal, even if it's in the regular season. But that's way down the road. I mean, the Eagles got to get back to the Super Bowl before they can even think about getting the ultimate revenge on the Chiefs. It'd be nice to beat them, but ultimately not going to matter in the regular season. Um Losing to Dallas might matter. Losing to San Francisco might matter. So from that perspective, yeah, I think it starts with Dallas. It starts in the division. That's clearly the best team in the division besides the Eagles. Um, might be the best team in the NFC besides the Eagles. I think it's those three, Eagles, Cowboys, 49ers. So those are the two teams you look at and say, those are the two teams we're probably going to have to beat to get where we want to go. And then you got two weeks to worry if it's Kansas city, Buffalo, Cincinnati. Um, you, you know, you worry about the super bowl when you get to the super bowl, but that's one of the things, you know, with this assumption that, Oh, we got to get a new coach who takes advantage of the super bowl. You got to get to the super bowl first. I mean, I think people are forgetting that, small part of the equation it is really really difficult to get to the super bowl and yeah it starts in the division so dallas is always number one not always sometimes it's the giants but it hasn't been the giants for a long time hasn't been the commanders for a long time or the washington football team or whatever you want to call them back to the Reds. We're only a couple of years removed from them winning the division at yeah. seven and nine, John. It, it always, don't, don't, don't forget that year. And this is not unique to the Eagles. It's, you know, everybody. It always starts in the division. For the, for the 49ers, as much as their fans like to come on here and worry about the Eagles, they're probably, not probably, they're worried about the Seahawks first. And then they know the Eagles are going to be at the top of the conference, so it's more meaningful um, than an AFC team. Um, you know, 
Detroit, you know, a lot of people think they're going to take the next step for a long time. They're worried about Minnesota, vice versa. Um, yeah, it's it's Cowboys, 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 Cowboys. I then if that's the case, and putting aside the whole Nick Sirianni, I only know what's happening within the next week. Are you telling me that the Eagles right now are starting to prep for the minute for the New England Patriots because they're week one and they oh, won't think about yeah. anyone else on their schedule until after they get past New England? It's uh, no, they won't prep for New England until you know two weeks before New England. They'll probably take an extra week. Um, you know, I always say Jim Swartz used to say, "All season is for for teaching." Uh, training camp is for evaluation, and then you're in game prep mode. I mean, they're they're right now. They're not thinking about anybody. They're trying to teach the rookies and trying to teach everybody and get everybody on the same page and the scheme and the system and all that kind of stuff. Then you evaluate your best 53 players in training camp. Who's who's the best? And then you're in game prep mode, and it's all about next opponent. And you know. You want to focus, can't always do it, but Nick's been very good. You got to give him credit. He's been very good with keeping people on the page and, you know, keeping it hyper-focused on that particular week. And, yeah, week one it'll be New England, which is an AFC game, so it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to lose it, but you want to get off uh, to a good start. And then it's Minnesota, and then it's Tampa Bay, and, you know, yeah, they do a good job with that. You do have to give him credit with it. So in this teaching section of the off season leading up to the opening of the actual season, <clears throat> I'll revert to the question I asked. The three teams that jump out to me on the schedule this year are the Cowboys, the 49ers, and the Chiefs. And this is a little braggadocious because you're putting everyone else below them. And you're saying, we're this good that we can focus in on these three teams because we think we'll take care of our business against everybody else. The Cowboys did beat us last year. The 49ers finished with almost the same record they did and lost their quarterback in the midst of our showdown game. And the Chiefs beat us by a field goal at the very end of the final game of the season. You're telling me, are you telling me, please tell me, no extra focus, no added focus on those. Do you, are they not even mentioned? Are they treated as equals for everyone else in the prep coming up to the season? Or yeah, they're not right even they're, they're not even important? they're not even mentioning an opponent at this stage. Uh, again, it's all about in in intra intra. Look at yourself, scheme, build what you're going to do. Um, you know, he might have some quality control coaches looking at film and, you know, making sure, you know, what's what so-and-so does well. And it'll, again, it'll be, that would be more division opponents first uh, than anything else. Then you kind of work out from there. You know, San Francisco is probably going to be pretty good. Seattle's probably going to be pretty good. They're on the schedule. You work out from there. I mean, that's what coaches are always doing but players i mean players they're teaching yeah it's all about teaching at this phase of the game no well, and then i might do it differently than nick sirianni 
And it, it's a very specific thing to the 2023 Eagles because they are as good as they are. I, I wouldn't just have this as a general philosophy. Every year I'm going to pick out the two or three opponents that I think are going to be Boy, our biggest Nick test would dress game. you down, Jody. He would dress you down. Fine. He would take you in his office and dress you down and say, I don't want to hear about goddamn anything except how we're going to get better today. That's that's Nick Sirianni. That's perfectly fine. And he had a very good year last year. I, I, I'd, I'd be foolish to try and go mano a mano, but they didn't achieve the ultimate goal. They didn't win the Super Bowl. So... Uh, uh, if, if I can take a step closer to doing that by doing something slightly different going into the year, yeah, I'm going to be open-minded to that because when you are the Super Bowl champ, there is no second guessing whatsoever. Eagles came up just short. So, uh, I, I would look to find those small, well, I would say this, if you turn the coin, I guarantee you, because I know Andy Reid well enough. I guarantee you, Andy Reid isn't worried about the freaking Eagles. Um, he doesn't have to. Spending, he won the game. Yeah, but he's not spending. If he lost the game, he wouldn't be worried about the freaking Eagles. No, That's, that, 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 Nick's that not, would be Nick, speculation. The result is Andy won the game. That, that That is not speculation at all. I mean, that's not how Andy does it. I mean, Nick is not unique doing it this way. In fact, you'd be, you know, changing the entire industry. I mean, Jim's the one who, as I said, Jim's not on this staff. Um, you know, he's the one who sort of taught me the calendar. Uh, not, I mean, actually explained it down to the T. Um, you know, you're not even, you got to worry about your own player. You got to get Jalen Carter up to speed. You got to get Nolan Smith up to speed. You got to get Nicobe Dean and Cam Jurgens ready to play. I mean, you can't be worried about Dallas, never mind Kansas City or can't. It's too yeah. early for that. So you're telling me that the entire coaching staff can't it doesn't have enough time, doesn't doesn't have enough space in their gray matter. No, as I said, that's what quality control coaches do. They're doing, you know, studies and you know, putting together what teams like to do so that when the coaches are ready. They can get the big screen and they can get, they got all the clips and they got all the film. There's, there's, it's a giant organization. What I'm saying is the coaches, the coaching staff, uh, the positional coaches, the coordinators, the head coach, they're worried about getting their players ready to play. Now, there's different levels, obviously. You know, Jason Kelsey's ready to play. We don't know Cam Jurgens is ready to play. Uh, we know Fletcher Cox is ready to play, understands how to play. We don't know Jalen Carter is ready to play. There's a lot of young players, a lot of changes, and you got to get those guys up to speed and ready to play. All right, so if you put it on the quality control coaches, let me ask you about the quality control coaches. They played the commanders week number four. They played the commanders twice during the season are you telling me the quality control coaches are spending more time now because of the calendar prepping for the commanders than they would be for the 49ers as either a regular season opponent uh, or not. a playoff they're, they're, opponent? They're generally, they, and, and I, you know, Nick gives people special projects and um, they're generally, the quality control guys in, during the season are, are generally. 
No, I'm talking about we, right now. I'm not talking about during the season. I'm talking. Well, I'm right saying now, I, today, I know what you're. May. I know what you're trying to get me to say, but I'm not. I'm not trying to get you to say anything. I'm. I'm trying to get you to say what you feel, John. And, and that's why I'm trying. Is. And that's why I'm trying to explain it. They generally work a week ahead in the regular season. So that's how. In in other words, they're they're on. They're a week ahead, getting prep ready for the coach for the core coaching staff. I don't want to. They're part of the coaching staff, but they're working a week ahead uh, to make sure that everything is ready for the positional coaches, the coordinators, the head coach for that sort of so everything's seamless and ready to go. It, during the offseason, and Nick has talked about this extensively with us, he gives he gives all his assistants projects. Now, there might be a project on Dallas. There might be a project on Washington. There might be a project on, on, on the Giants. And they do something well, and we didn't handle it well. And he might have them working on that. But this all-encompassing, we're focused on so-and-so. No, it doesn't exist. And, and, and by the way, it doesn't exist anywhere. It doesn't exist anywhere in the NFL. Um and, and, you know, you bring up other sports, it, it's it, maybe it's a little bit different because you know if you're a good team, you mentioned the Sixers. Well, they're going to win 50 games. You know, as long as Embiid's healthy, they're going to win 50 games. They better find out a way to beat the Celtics. They can't beat the Celtics. They can never beat the Celtics. It's a different sport. I mean, back in the day, you know, the Sixers got Andrew Toney and the Celtics go got out got Dennis Johnson to deal with Andrew Tony, and they would go back and forth because they know they were going to see each other every single year. And they did basically, unless there was a major upset. Um, football's not like that. I mean, there's no guarantee you're going to get back. To, and that's where, you know, too many people are hyper-focused on, well, you got to fire Jonathan Gannon because he imploded in the Super Bowl. You got to get to the damn Super Bowl before you worry about imploding in the Super Bowl. Everybody's skipping some giant stinking steps, and Nick is hyper focused on that week to week mentality to the point it gets boring, and he admits it gets boring. But he talks about it week and week in and week out, week in and week out, and he drills it into their head. And I'm not saying they're robots and they don't look ahead because they do look ahead. Um, and they probably will look ahead to Kansas City during that week or or the week before at the bye week, and they'll be fired up and say, "We want to get the guys that were there." That's the human nature aspect of it. But on May seventeenth, that coaching staff doesn't even know Kansas City exists right now. All right, so then give me some good, healthy speculation. What are the special projects that the quality control coaches are working on at this during this? Well, again, that's, season? you know, Nick and Nick does that to basically sort of, um, you know, grade his coaches for lack of a, you were talking about grading scouts, scouting the scouts, you know, he wants, he wants to focus on, you know, are his assistants growing and all that kind of stuff. And that's why he does it. That's up to Nick. I mean, maybe, as I said, maybe he doesn't like the way something went against Dallas during the regular season. And maybe he tells 
um, Aaron Moorhead or somebody like that. All right. You know, why isn't Quez Watkins fighting for the football? You know, give me, give me 15 teach tape moments of receivers fighting for the football, turning into defensive backs, things like that. Um, you know, but obviously, but that's, you know, up to Nick and that's part of what he does. And, um, he's into that kind of stuff and he wants to, um, you've heard him talk about when he gets in the weeds about certain things, it could be as little as somebody running a bad route. You know, he's obsessed with wide receivers. We go back to that Giants game a couple of years ago when everybody was focused on, you know, oh, Jalen Rager didn't catch the ball. He was focused on why the hell are you not running the right routes? Why are you not getting the right depth? Um, and that was Devontae Smith, who's a really good receiver. But he was a rookie, you know, and he's not running the right depth. You know, maybe he's got maybe he's got somebody else looking for 20, 30 plays, teach tape plays, as he calls them. This is the way this route is run. This is the way this route is run. That's the kind of stuff they do. Oh, I'm hoping the te- teach tape moments are focused more on three teams than the rest of the schedule. Understood You're going to get it- fired, Jody. You're going to get fired if you go into Nick with that. I mean, he's... he's- That's a, you know what? That's a beautiful thing because Nick Sirianni... <laughs> I don't work for Nick Sirianni. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I wonder if you do, buddy. I don't work for Nick Sirianni. Well, I mean, that's not what he's looking for. I don't know why. But I could lie to you. That's what I say to fans. If fans want me to lie to them, well, I can't. I can't lie. It's just against my nature. Good for you. That's not. That's not how they do it. Now, I could lie to you and say they do it in a different direction, but that's not how they do it. And again, it's not just the Eagles. And I go back to Jim, Jim Schwartz. It, you know, that's that's how the that's how the industry is set up. And when you have such turnover, and in the NFL, basically 30% of your roster is turned over every year, you got to get those guys freaking ready to play before you can even think about bad teams, never mind good teams. Today is May 10th. We are in a severely downtime in the National Football League. The coaching staff is still being paid. They don't not get a check during this time of the year, so they're still being paid. I'm just suggesting a way for the Eagles to potentially have as successful, if not a more successful season next year. If they choose not to do it that way, it's their team. I'm just a stupid talk show host. But I'm suggesting the way their schedule is laid out this year, there are some key games that they'll be playing in and I'd like to see them as prepped as humanly possible for those key games. They got 86 players. Yeah, they're working today. They're working today. They're trying to get Charleston Rambo up to speed. That that's what they're working on. They they're not they're not not working. They got 86 players. They got to get on the same page. And you could say, well, Charleston Char, Charleston Rambo is not going to be here. But then you're not doing your job as a coach. You're trying to get that specific player better. All 86 of these guys, you're trying to get better, even Jason Kelsey. You're trying to get them a little bit better. So when you get to New England in week one, you're better equipped to win. I I comprehend that. I get that. 
and that is the number one priority. There's a lot of hours in the day. They're, they're, they're not putting in a wave manager. Are you suggesting the Eagles are putting in hour after hour after hour at this time of year? The Eagles, who may practice less on the clock than any other, other team in the National Football League, the days just come and go and disappear like I can't believe the day is well, over. Really? I mean, that, that we're talking about the players, which is, you know, collectively bargained to extent, but they don't use all the time they could use on the field. And we, and we know that, but the coaches, I mean, the coaches work long hours. They work very long hours now to the point of they work, they, they, they watch so much film to the point. It's I'll be honest. It's silliness because they're not, you know, they're not going to get better um, by doing some of the things they do. But, you know, I blame that on Dick Vermeil. I go all the way back to Dick Vermeil, who, you know, it became a badge of honor uh, to do these ridiculous hours for football coaches. And you got to sleep in your office. And, you know, that's another, we could do a whole show on that. And mm -hmm. people are getting divorced and there's alcoholism. It, it, it's silly. Uh, but that's, you know, it's a badge of honor in that industry Oh, I got in at 6 a.m. and I left uh, at, at 2 a.m. Didn't leave. It, sleep, slept on a couch. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And, 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 and that part of it, I'll be honest, is bullshit. Uh, but they watch so much damn film. Um, and they have, on the second floor, they have a giant room with a wall. The screen is as big as the wall. The entire wall. And... They got every play, and that's what the quality control guys do. And they got every play clipped, and they watch it again and again and again and again in the cheat shape and everything and blah, blah, blah. Ad nauseum. You don't have to worry about those guys working. Well, uh, if you're telling me they're working, then I'm happy for it. I hope they are narrow focused on three specific teams in the Eagles' upcoming season. McMullen and McDonald, the Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. Oh, I think he's got an outside look for us. We're heading down to shore. Mike Gill from the Sports Bash, our usual Wednesday contributor, jumping in with us here on Birds 365. Weather forecasting is a team game. We rely on each other every day, updating the models and passing along new critical information. We have a team of five experienced meteorologists and a specialized weather producer, Paul. Say hi, Paul. Sometimes what I see in the model, Cecily could see something different. That's when we come together as a team to make our most accurate predictions. And all of this backed by more than 100 AccuWeather scientists. It's a team game. And we have the best team in town. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. 
Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. Celebrating the life of your loved one is what we do at Life Celebrations by Givnish. When the matriarch of the Dalloway family died suddenly at 82 years old, Life Celebrations by Givnish stepped in. They will make this the easiest thing that you... I know it's not easy, but they will make this as easy as possible. Life Celebrations by Givnish. Customizing services as unique as the individual. I, I just know that my dad, who is in charge of everything, was it was not in charge of anything at that point when, when my mom passed. And uh, uh, again, just another uh, shout out to this place for, for making it easy. Turning tragedy into a celebration of life, no matter how hard, is what we do at Life Celebrations by Givnish. Life Celebrations by Givnish. Customizing services as unique as the individual. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. McMullen and McDonald joined by Mike Gill. Is that the back porch? What what are we looking at in the shot, Mikey Gill? Yeah, I'm outside on the porch today. I'm uh, enjoying the cool nice, breeze. Uh, cold day. Yeah, nice cold day. Yeah, it's nice out. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, we appreciate, as always, when you jump in with us on <clears> Wednesdays. <throat> John and I were just kicking back and forth what the Eagles are doing this week. Signing undrafted free agents, putting time in with these guys to try and get them ready for the upcoming season. What's the most important thing the Eagles have to do this offseason that they haven't yet done, Mike Gill? Well, I think Howie Roseman said it like, you know, we're not done. You know, everybody thinks this is the product that is taking you to September 10th to New England. Uh, the 53 guys are in this group. I would imagine that's not the case. So he's probably still trying to find some depth and maybe even a player or two to add to the competition for starting spots. I would think linebacker, if there's somebody there that gets, you know, uh, uh, released between now and the start of the season, they'll have their eye on that. I would think that corner, if there's a veteran player, they still would like to find maybe a veteran corner to be kind of that third guy on the outside. I talked about this the other day on my show. You know, if Devonta Smith or A.J. Brown end up getting hurt. Yeah, I mean, I guess Quez Watkins can move to the outside, but they don't have a lot of depth, uh, veteran depth at the wide receiver position if there there was an injury. You know, I think we look at things so many times as, hey, look, uh, the Mets have a really good starting nine and a pitching staff. Well, when two of your pitchers get hurt, now what do you have? Not much. I think the Eagles have a couple areas where, yeah, starting-wise, A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, we got great receivers. They made it through the season last year healthy. What happens if somebody has to miss a hamstring four, five, (laughs) six weeks? Then what do you do? So between now and then, the finishing touches I don't think are close. I think you're still trying to find the dot for the I, the cross for the T, the period at the end of the sentence before you get ready for this season. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring up. Uh, wide receiver, Mike, you're right. There's not a ton of depth, uh, but the starters are tremendous. Uh, and A.J. Brown, DeMonte Smith, 
Um, I think we're all on board. This is a pretty good football team. But I do. If Jody and I just went back and forth, he's got them, you know, worrying about San Francisco, Dallas, Kansas City. Um, what's this? What's the floor of this team? Like how it 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 it's one of those years, and a bunch of stuff goes wrong. What what's the floor? How bad could this team possibly well, be? You know, it's funny you 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 asked that question because in 04, they went to the Super Bowl. You have McNabb and Owens, and that team had been close, 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 close. They finally got to a Super Bowl. They lose. Well, then the next year, the floor was disaster. They had injuries all over the place. You had a sideshow with Terrell Owens. I don't know. Is there a player on this team that the – He left, right. Uh, But is there a player on this team that the success gets to them and they think they're more valuable uh, and they start a problem? I I don't know that that happens. But the floor is always as far as the injuries go. What injuries occur? You always say you can't legislate injuries. This is a team that was healthy all season long last year, pretty much across the board. Yeah, the quarterback missed two. But I look at in years where this team has struggled, They had high expectations generally. Their struggles have been a surprise, but what happened in those years, generally in many of the years that I remember that I can recollect, they had multiple offensive line injuries that had crippled them in many of the years. You know, Andy's one year, they have like four offensive linemen uh, get hurt. Uh, The year that Doug had his last year, they had a bunch of offensive linemen get hurt. They ended up winning four games. So, yeah, if you lost – and, look, their offensive line depth is not the same as it's been the last two years, but they – part of the reason why their offensive line depth was good the last two years is because they had so many injuries, and those guys had to play. So Jack Driscoll got reps. Nate Herbig, you know, I know he's not here anymore, but he played a lot. Big V played a lot because there were so many injuries that they had to play, and those guys parlayed them into big contracts. So – the, the floor is always injury-related. I think if the team's healthy, you're, you're looking at probably a team. Okay, worst-case scenario, if they're healthy all the way through, they got a tough schedule, they play a lot of close games, eh, maybe they win nine games instead of – Wow, that that would be disastrous for me. Yeah. If you're talking about not injury-related, not one of the two wide receivers, not the quarterback going down, and they only won nine games, I think Nick Sirianni's job would be on the line. Possible. I mean, he's the longest now, Will Brent in this didn't have him at ten. I'm trying to get Will on the show. I mentioned that he 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 from CBS. He uh, he had him at ten wins, um, ten and seven. Now I I had him at twelve. I think they're a really good team. But I got to be honest with you. I could see ten wins if things well, go poorly. I mean, we talked about this yesterday. There's a good scenario where this team is more talented but doesn't have as many wins. I mean, the schedule oh, yeah. is clearly oh, yeah. more difficult. Last year, I'm sure you guys dealt with it. I know when I was on, you, you get the comments all the time. They haven't played anybody. They haven't beaten anybody. Who have they played? They haven't beaten anybody. Well, the whole league was mediocre. There was nobody to play last year. Now they've got some of those upper echelon. You know, the four or five good teams. They've got them on the schedule, Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas, and you're playing them in a stretch back to back to back to back to back. They have a stretch of seven straight playoff teams from a year ago at the end of the season. 
you know, I mean, maybe you go 500 in those games. Who knows what the injury situation is at that part. But the schedule is definitely – for those people last year, so they didn't play anybody. Well, there's nobody to play except for – I don't know if you played last year, Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati wasn't even all that good until late, late in the year. They got better. There were a lot of high-profile teams. Now, we enter this year thinking that the higher echelon teams are going to be better and that you have them on your schedule this year. And, oh, by the way, people dismissed Minnesota, but Minnesota won 13 games last year. And I know they did it in a funky way by sneaking victories. And when they lost, they got run off the field. Uh, there's never been an equivalent type season. But if you're just looking at record, 13 and four is 13 and four. And the Eagles did stick one of those four losses on there. And they're on the schedule this year as well. Again. Uh, so, but again, in a advantageous spot for the Eagles on a Thursday night in their house. Uh, they should be and, able to take care and of the And the Phillies so not gracefully moved their ga- game that day off the schedule. The yeah. NFL said, hey, the Phillies yeah. play a Thursday afternoon game. Eh, who cares? Yeah. They'll get out of there. Get the hell out of our way. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. What a, and, what a great story. And it, it was a game against the Braves, too. It wasn't like yeah. they were playing uh, uh, the, the – Colorado Rockies, the team that nobody cares, or an interleague game against the Guardians. No, it's a brace, top rival. Good I think, have to you know, run down. I think the only person that could stop the NFL is uh, Taylor Swift. She might be able to stop them. Uh, that's about it. No, no, that's no. You, you, you didn't pick up on that this weekend. The NFL benefited from it because people were going out to buy DeAndre Swift's jersey because they wanted an Eagles jersey with Swift on the back. Oh, yeah. So DeAndre's jersey sales couldn't be had in the, the, the shops around here in Philadelphia. Everybody wanted that to wear the concert this past weekend. Taylor Swift benefits the Eagles, uh, benefits the NFL, not competes with the NFL. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Uh, kind of ridiculous. All right, uh, so you said – Howie Roseman on the lookout for things during the offseason to try and upgrade and uh, give themselves more balance coming into the season. What are the coaches doing? Uh, you took it from a front office perspective. What do you think the coaches are doing? If John and I were just talking about it, how are they getting ready for the 17-game grind? Well, I would imagine, you know, it's it's. I heard John right before I came on, and this whole badge of courage that you hang out in the in the in the Novacare Center from five o'clock in the morning till midnight, and you know you're so ordering stupid. pizza. And, yeah. <laughs> but um, is that by the way? Is that changing? Is that something that is not happening as much anymore? That these guys are just living their lives in these places. But I would imagine they're going over a lot of film, a lot of tape, going through plays, designing stuff going through the talent that they have, trying to fit, you know, coaches that I've been around at every level, high school, I mean, they just sit in a room and throw a hundred scenarios at each other, right? What do you think of this guy? Well, if we did this and he could do that, but if he can't do that, then maybe the other guy, you know, there's probably just a ton. You would love to write a story about what happens at this time of the year with coaches. How many hype, you know, they say, oh, I don't like to play the hypothetical game. No, that's all you do all offseason is play the hypothetical game. What's my depth chart going to look like? What if this guy can actually play? I see this guy on tape looks really good. I always say, people say these mini camps, they don't mean a whole heck of a lot, and, and maybe they don't. But if you're a young player, you could certainly, I think anyway, do something to stand out to where the coach says, you know what? I want to watch that guy more when we get to training camp. Yeah, Charleston Rambo, baby. 
you could put yourself in a position to where, hey, that guy stood out a little bit. You know, I'd like to see him when the action's real, when the lights, you know, when the when the veterans are here and see what he can do when when we have the pads on. So, um, yeah, there's just a lot of hypotheticals I would imagine going on, a lot of film stuff, but nothing that I think we're going to be talking about in November of. What the heck were they doing back on May 17th? How could they not have figured that out? Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, today, did you read the um, Eric Spolster story? That Eric Spolster story the other – it was I out. Did. Yeah. I did. About I, I, how he lost. By the way, Eric, Eric Spolster never ages, man. That guy no, never ages. The same. Yeah. But the story for the people watching, you know, he lost the, the finals with LeBron and Wade and Bosch to, to the, the series to Dallas. And he said that whole offseason, he just ripped up the playbook and sat there and figured out because he said he had no adjustment. He didn't know what to do. So he basically worked on a whole new offense and a whole new scheme of things to do on how to use their big men differently because the way that Dallas used Nowitzki, it was something that they hadn't really seen a whole heck of a lot at that time. And he didn't have that in his repertoire. And he said his lack of adjustment, he felt cost them that series so you look at stuff that maybe the eagles did wrong last year and maybe that's stuff that they're using this time to find things to do that beat them last year yeah i covered that finals by the way uh that was uh yeah dirk was uh tremendous but uh um today's a, a bit of a groundhog day for the eagles and uh they're gonna make some uh, veteran players available for the first time in the spring. And I've been going through these for years, and it's always, you know, Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, Lane Johnson, Brandon Graham, or they're going to be a mix of those guys. Maybe Slay jumps into it now. But those four specific guys, you know, I was thinking about this today because I'm like, I've been talking to these guys forever. It's it's kind of boring by this point, to be honest, but boring in a good way. Very few teams have that. Uh, you know, in baseball, the Yankees called it their core four. This is the core four of the Eagles. Um, I think that group enables them to take chances like they took with Jalen Carter and other teams can't. How important is it to have that foundation? And Ryan Pulse was talking about it on a Chicago um, station. He was basically, I can't take the kid. They can take the kid. I yeah. can't take the kid. Yeah. Well, we um, talked about this. Uh, you know, I had somebody from Vegas on, and he said they would love to take Jalen Carter, but they've been burned so many times with the rugs thing and other guys getting in trouble off the field. You know, I talk about that a lot with, with the Philadelphia, many of the Philadelphia teams, like, all of them seem to not have a lot of off-the-field drama. But the Eagles at the top of that list of – I think somebody brought up Josh Huff. What yeah, Josh Huff, yeah. That he uh, did something speeding with a gun or something. Yeah, he had a gun in his car. That's really the last time yeah. that I remember an Eagles player that had some sort of off-the-field incident that made the media and made the news. Um, yeah, I think having those guys around – and look, it has to probably do with the way they run things and they probably do some things, you know, before – when these kids get there uh, that they feel more comfortable that maybe some of these – you know, that was another thing with Spolstra in that – that was a really good article, by the way. You know, 
these guys doing stuff and that he basically challenges them and holds them accountable. He's not afraid of confrontation. They said, man, that's one of his best attributes is that he likes confrontation. He wants the confrontation because he <clears> feels <throat> like the confrontation starts dialogue and communication to bring things together. A lot of teams and guys don't want to have that tough conversation with somebody uh, especially a young kid who thinks he's a star and, you know, wants to, you know, look what's going on with John Morant down in uh, Memphis. I'm sure they had a conversation <laughs> with him and he just yeah. went in one ear and went right out the other. So every organization runs things differently, but I think you have to go off of what we hear and see with the Eagles that they have a formula that seems to be working. Cause again, the only guy I can remember is Josh Huff. Is there somebody else I'm forgetting? Well, they had, uh, they had the strip club incident after minicamp, um, with Nelson Aguilar, they had Daryl Warbley got arrested outside the Novacare complex, but they cut him that day. There's been a few, but not many compared to other teams. And you can't keep a, a watch on guys 24-7. That's why I bring up the foundation of that leadership in that locker room. I think it's really underrated. I really do. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with John because, uh, and I know I'm going apples and oranges a little bit here, but um, depending on who you believe and what you hear, James Harden helped to get Doc Rivers run out of town yesterday because he wasn't a fan of Doc because Doc wasn't afraid to have a hard conversation with him and his continued trips to Vegas and his practice habits and the like. Where was TJ Tucker? They brought him in here to be that guy, didn't they? To be the guy who wasn't going to be afraid to talk to his teammates. Shoot, I remember T.J. Tucker screaming at Embiid when he yeah. was on the foul line during the Celtics series. For 10 seconds, yeah, he did it. Going he at him, yeah. uh, somehow he got past James Harden that he didn't tell James, yeah. hey, the coach is the coach. You got to listen to him. Don't be tapping it out. Well, that's what I always talk coach. about with the coaches. You know, people love like the Kenny Atkinsons and the – Nick Nurse won the title with Kawhi. Well, then after Kawhi, they were just kind of an average team, and he grinds on these players. But it's a lot easier to coach tough when you don't have a superstar. You can grind on guys when you don't have a superstar. When you get that superstar and you try to grind on them, it's a little bit of a different, you know, how does Kenny Atkinson do when he's got Kevin Durant as opposed to, I don't even remember, Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, was his best player at that time. So. You can grind on Spencer Dinwiddie. You can't grind on Kevin Durant. So those type of hard-nosed coaches, they get the most out of the, uh, out of their, their rosters when they don't have the player on the roster. When they have that player on the roster, and we were talking about this yesterday with Sirianni. Mm. He's the longest-tenured coach in the city now, by the way, Nick Sirianni. It's amazing. And amazing. you have to treat every guy a little bit different and good cop, bad cop, and you have that coach – Different coaches have different relationships with different players. So Nick might say, hey, look, me and Fletcher, you know, and I don't know about him and Fletcher, maybe not a great example, but just, hey, me and Fletcher, eh, we don't have the greatest rapport. Maybe you need to go talk to him and let him know, hey, you know, he was out too late the other night. Somebody <clears> brought <throat> it up to me, blah, blah, blah. Like, you have to be able to figure out those relationships with everybody. And maybe the Eagles do a good job of having guys who figure that kind of stuff out and kind of – Play that good well, I, I, I want to throw out to both you guys because, you know, people seem to like when Jody and I argue. People liked when Mike and I argue. <laughs> it, it's got to be me because <laughs> people like uh, when when we go back and forth. You and I used to bang it out about the Sixers back in the day in San Hanky, but 
Um, I'm still getting people yelling me for that. What, 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 with coaching, what, why, and you guys both take, you know, calls and text and, and things like that. Fans really want to blame coaches. And, and whether it's the Super Bowl or the Eastern Conference final, and yeah, it, it's great. I'm not saying coaches don't matter. They mean more in football probably than any other sport. Probably less in basketball. Not probably, definitely less. But it's always about the players at the end of the day. Is it just they don't want to blame the players, so they need the scapegoat? They need the Jeffrey Lurie scapegoat? What? what uh, explain it to me. Explain the the thought process. You can go first, Mike. Oh, I always deem, because I this is a huge topic on my show, especially with the NBA. I'm not a big blame the guy in the NBA. It's a player's league. We we know this. I, I remember one time I was talking to a scout at a game, and Mo Cheeks was the coach. I said, what do you think of Mo Cheeks? Because at the time, I'm like, this Mo Cheeks, he doesn't know what he's doing. He said, Mo Cheeks has a 35-win roster. He'll get you 35 wins. If he has a 55-win roster, He's going to get you 55 wins. So, in other words, these coaches are really inconsequential. Like, if Doc Rivers was horrible, they won 54 games. Does the next coach, does he have to win 65 games? Like, how much power and and impact on a game does the coach have? Now, I agree. In football, they call every single play. They have a hand on every play call and everything. But the players still need to execute. The NBA, they're not stopping. This isn't high – high school basketball where they're calling every single play up and down the court. And I always deem the fans had a coach in their his, in their past that they didn't like playing for, who didn't give them the playing time they wanted, and they blamed that coach. And they're still doing it as adults. They're not <laughs> holding themselves accountable. They hold the coach accountable for why they never played, and now they hold the coach accountable while why the greatest players in the world aren't are 0 for 7 from three-point range. Can you imagine Doc Rivers was 0 for 7 from three-point range in a game that he never stepped on the floor? All right. Uh, similar answer from yours truly. Oh, by the way, the next coach has to win eight play eight playoff games, which would get him into the second round. He, he doesn't have to win 65 in the regular season compared to Doc's 54, but he's got to win at least eight playoff games and get that one more game that gets him into the next round to be considered success. Here's my reasoning, John, and it may be out of left field. I think it's because John Q. Public sitting at home believes, yeah, I could coach the team. Yeah, I could sit on the sidelines. I could put on a Sixer uh, hoodie and zip up and be able to coach the team. They're not going to try and kid themselves into the fact that they can go a foot and a half above the rim and throw it down. They know that's impossible. But, yeah, I could do that. I could coach the team. I could uh, motivate these guys, get inside their heads, scream and yell. Yeah, I could do what Doc Rivers is doing. Why don't I make $8 million? They know they can't make the $40 million that Joe LMB does because they can't do what Joe LMB can do. Uh, that's the way I've always thought yeah. about it 30 oh, years oh. of talking to fans. No, Jody, that's you know, there are many people out there who believe that they know more about said sport than the coach does. Right. They just – they didn't. They didn't make the. They didn't make the sacrifice of going down the road to become a coach. But if I did, I would have been a better coach than Doc Rivers. Exactly. You know. Um, oh, believe me. Uh, we you. There's a lot of people out there that could GM better than Howie Roseman. That could be make better decisions than Dave Dombrowski. They would be smarter than. And look, we do it for a living. 
the coach has to do this. Like, we know what the coach has to do. It's our opinion, and, and it is what it is. But, you know, in basketball of all the sports, look, baseball. Uh, the other day I got into the guy uh, on Twitter. I said, look, these people with the Bailey falter. Like, I get it. He stinks. But if you're complaining about Bailey falter, you're misguided in your where your anger is with this team right now. Because if Bailey Falter gets replaced, you're going to bitch and moan about the next guy they bring in. You know why? Bailey Falter's only there because the next guy's worse. So they know that Falter stinks, but at least they know, hey, he can get me five well, innings. Uh, uh, and let me say this, Mike. You're mentioning, look, they have, fans generally have no problem getting on bad players, right? No problem. I mean, or I don't even want to say bad. Average, below average. Um, if you're a professional athlete, you're probably pretty good at that sport. You know, when you have an MVP playing like Joe LMB did, there's there's this hesitancy. We went through it for years with Ben Simmons, where no, he's an all-star. He's an all-star. He stinks in big situations. We all saw it for years that so many fans wouldn't give it up until the very end. Now, Joel's not at that level. Joel's a very good player, extremely gifted, immensely talented. Look, he shit the bed. There's well, and, no and, harm and Joel's in saying interesting. It. Joel's interesting because in game seven against the Hawks, he had like 35 points and 14 rebounds. I mean, he left it on the floor against the Hawks. Ben Simmons was horrendous in the game. Yeah. But Joel yeah. did show up in that game seven. So why didn't he play well in this game seven? I don't know. Um, James Harden has played well in many games, but the – Closeout games. Yeah. Well, they, 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 they play back. My only point is, and I go back to the Super Bowl as well. Look, people want to blame JG. They were the best of all the, the Fangio defensive schemes. I tell Jody this all the time. They were by far the best when it came to communication on the back end. By far the best for 19 weeks. Um, Slade, Bradbury, CJ, Marcus tremendous communication. They shit the bed in the Super Bowl. They shit the bed. Did he all of a sudden tell them, hey, guys, don't communicate. Don't communicate at all. Blow coverages. Why can't fans blame good players? My question to both of you. Last night, did you watch? I don't know if you made it up for the end of the Laker game. Anthony Davis has 40. He's cooking. They're back in the game. The last three minutes of the game, he doesn't have a touch. And people say, well, the coach has to get in the ball. He's got to call for the – and the players, I mean, you ask former players, they say, no, you're the player who's cooking. You need to demand the ball. I don't need a coach to tell me I need the ball. I'm Anthony freaking Davis. Give me the ball. But he's not that type of player. So where does the coach get involved? And it's like I said the other day, you know, you look at what happened with Joel Embiid and Harden in game seven. You got to be – glowing by the fact that, yes, the Eagles lost the game, but your guy was the best player on the field. So you don't have to worry down the road, how's this guy going to perform in that moment? Oh, Jalen Hurts has showed that that moment's not too big for him, and that is a takeaway from this loss for the Sixers and the loss for the Eagles. And, by the way, Bryce Harper, as well, did everything he could to try to help the Phillies win. So your stars on the Eagles and Phillies – you got questions about the Sixer guy in the big moment, but you shouldn't have questions about the guy who's under center uh, for this team. And they ran Jonathan Gannon out of town, so we don't have to sweat that out. Yeah, 
You know, I'm just kidding, John. I, I don't blame Gannon either. Uh, the players didn't communicate on those. Oh, last and I would third. I would place more blame on the players than John Gannon. Look, Agreed. they had, they had seventy freaking sacks. They had zero in the Super Bowl. Every player on that defense, pretty much, you go through the list, all had their best season of their careers yep. last season playing for John Gannon. It's not a coincidence. That scheme worked for Hassan Reddick. It worked for Graham. It worked for Cox. It worked for Hargrave. It worked for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. It worked for Slay. It worked for Bradbury. It worked for Edwards. It worked for Kaiser White. It worked for Epps. But they had some breakdowns on the last game of the year, and they gave up a couple of walk-in touchdowns, which was kind of painful pills to swallow. Mikey Gill, always a pleasure, buddy. Go out and enjoy, since you're already outside, go out and get some sun while you're at it. Yeah, a little morning coffee on the porch, uh, you know, getting this day started. Very nice. He will be on this afternoon on 97.3 ESPN down the shore, hosting the Sports Pass. Mike Gill here with us on Birds 365. We'll get you up next month, Wednesday, Mike. Thanks. John McMullen, join him. Thumb, you know what we got to do. Come back. Put a bow on the show. Stay here. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit. And the hits. Go for the stakes. And the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. The greatest fans on earth. It's a bold statement, but would you expect anything less from Philadelphia? 58 years of heartache creates a toughness, a grit, a resolve not found in most. Sure, our prayers were answered, but now that we've had a taste, we're looking for more. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go and go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. All right, did you know I was the mommy slam dunk champion? Really? <laughs> yes, really don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to right, go to left. Thank you, Mama. Mama, go. Oh, Mama! She did it. Again? You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh huh.
E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. Clock's picking on us here on Birds 365. Hope you enjoyed the uh, Wednesday get-together. Uh, Neil Stratton did a nice job talking scouting with us from InsideTheLeague.com a little earlier, and then uh, we uh, always appreciate when Mikey Gill streams in with us. Uh, tomorrow we got our bud, Marcus Hayes. We haven't had Marcus on in a good couple of weeks. He's always got some way to stir the pot. Yeah, man. Sure Marcus, not afraid uh, to give his opinion, which I love. And for those of you who are virtual, and you get it, we get it, everybody gets it. It's Birds 365. 98% of the conversation is about football and or the Philadelphia Eagles. When we leak over to something else every once in a while, like the Sixers getting bounced by the Celtics. For those of you who just want to hear football, we'll apologize at a time. But I try to make an Eagles correlation. I try as, to correlate. As do I. We try yeah. and play it off something having yeah. to do with football or the Eagles. We might have to do it that with Marcus tomorrow, too, because uh, he has been very steady in his coverage of the Sixers. We'll have him on mostly to talk football, but uh, maybe just a little. How do we tie basketball into the Eagles? Marcus will probably be able to help us do that. All right, bud, I'm back here tomorrow. You back here tomorrow? Yeah, let's do it. He's McMullen. He says he's coming back. I'm McDonald. I say I'm going to be back. So you know you're going to get Birds 365 in two and two. You've been listening to Birds 365, the destination for the passionate Eagles football fan who bleeds green. If it's Eagles football, we're talking about it. Debate inside the locker room and guests that are some of the greatest football minds from around the region. We hope you enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media at Jacob Sports. See you next time on Birds 365. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.